Word of God today. If you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, I want to finish the series that I called God Never Wastes a Pain. How many of you believe that God never wastes a pain? Well, that's, that's overwhelming. Put another way, God makes everything work together for the good. Romans 8.28 says God makes everything work together for the good for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. That's everybody. That's every Christian, every believer, washed in the blood of the Lamb. You're called. It says God makes everything work together for good. Now today I want to talk to you about Simon Peter, one of my favorite Bible characters. I'm so thankful that the Bible tells us the truth about Peter. Doesn't whitewash, doesn't skew anything. Tells us the truth about him. John 1, verse 42. And I'm going to go from there to Luke 22, verse 31. I'm going to talk to you today about, about Peter's denial. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said... You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Say it with me today. I am what I am, but I'm not what I shall be. Because Jesus changes everybody. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now turn to Luke 22, verse 31. And we're going to see this future rock this future stone in another scenario completely. Jesus is saying something totally different to him. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, whenever he calls your name twice, you need to buckle your seatbelt. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now listen to Peter. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today before you will deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you'd bless it. And help us to understand that even in trials, even in hard times, even in things we don't understand, when we're surrounded by perplexity, when we're experiencing disillusionment, even in times like that, you're going to have your way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and it's going to serve to work for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good today. Perk up and listen. You need it. Now, I want to talk to you about Peter's denial and about his subsequent restoration. How many of you believe that God is a restoring God? He's a restoring God. How many of you can say with me, it's never hopeless as long as God is there? Amen? Now, we're going to see today that with, as with Peter, with Peter as with Hannah and Joseph and David, who we've talked about the last few weeks, Hannah, Joseph, and David, God never wastes even a pain. God doesn't waste a trial. He doesn't waste a valley. He doesn't waste a pain. But all things, all things, that's a lot of things, all things 
are made to serve him, will work together for our good. Now when Jesus was beginning to gather his future disciples, he made his first public appearance being baptized by his cousin, John. Seeing Jesus approach the Jordan River to be baptized, John declared what we all have heard so much, so many times quoted, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, one of the very first to hear Jesus speak following this event was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew became convinced that Jesus was the long-anticipated Messiah. Deeply moved, he went and found Peter and announced to him, We have found the Messiah. In a classic picture of New Testament witnessing, it says he brought Peter to Jesus and introduced Peter to Jesus. Now I want you to notice in the Bible, Jesus wasted no time in reading Peter's mail. He knows you. He knows everything about you. When Jesus looks at you, he has x-ray eyes. He knows the end from the beginning, what you're going to think before you think it, what you'll say before you say it, where you're going before you go. And he said, you are Simon, the son of John, but here's what I'm going to do with you. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Here's what Jesus was saying to him, and he says it to every one of us. You are one thing now, but you shall be. You shall be something very different later. You have your ways, your personality, your habits, your likes, your dislikes now. But when I'm finished with you, you will not be the same. I see, see who you are now, but I also see clearly who you're going to be. Have you noticed that Jesus' method with every person in the Bible that he called, his method was to define them. Jesus was a defining Savior. You are Simon Peter. You shall be called Cephas, a rock. Here is what you are, Peter, but here is what I'm going to make you. I'm defining you. Right now you're kind of unstable, a little impetuous, you're compulsive, you're a little bit immature in some ways. I see you, I know who you are, I've got your number, I can read your mail. But Peter, here's who you're going to be. And he defined him. He defined him by telling him who he was going to be. Jesus was a master at stirring the hearts of his followers with purpose. And he ignited their purpose by the way he defined them. By the way, he defined them. Think with me for a minute. Right now, this moment, someone or something is defining you. You believe about yourself what people or circumstances have led you to believe. You have an opinion of yourself, a view of yourself, convictions about yourself. You have a perception of yourself, and that came from somewhere because right now someone or something is defining you. It can be a negative defining. You're no good. You're going nowhere. You have no potential. You have failed too much. Or it can be positive. God's got great things for you. You're more than a conqueror for him that loved you. You're going to realize the destiny and the purposes of God. There is potential all over you. As the child song said, you are a great big bundle of potentiality. But someone or something is defining you. 
Someone or something today, this moment, is defining you. And guess what? That is so important because you're going to act according to the way you have been defined. Now I'm going to give you a key that is crucial to your stepping into the future that God has for you. This is a key. If you're going to step into the future that God has for you, you're going to have to win the battle over who or what defines you. Is the Word of God defining you? Is God defining you? Is Christ defining you? Or is somebody negative in your life defining you? Or memories from the past, are they defining you? Do you believe negatively about yourself because of things that have happened in your past? And ghosts from the past speak into your mind and they're defining you. You're never going to become anything. You can't do anything. You're never going to be anything great or significant or substantive because of what has happened in your past. And those voices define you. If you're going to go into what God has for you, if you're going to experience your greatest potential in God, if you're going to fulfill the destiny of God, you're going to have to win the battle over who or what defines you. In order to reach for the future, you must believe what God says about you. What does God say about you? He says, you are loved. What does God say about you? You're full of the Holy Spirit. What does God say about you? You've got a purpose and a destiny. You were chosen before the world began. What does God say about you? You are more than a conqueror through Him that loved you. What does God say about you? You are going to win and not lose. You're the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Blessed in the storehouse, blessed in the field, blessed in your going out, blessed in your coming in. What does God say about you? You're going to have to allow God to be the primary definer of who you are. If you don't let God define you, someone or something else is going to define you. God has got to be the definer of your life. It's a powerful thing. You know, when I first started out in the ministry many, many, many years ago, when I was like 17, 18 years old, God gave me an older couple in my life who were always speaking positive, defining things over me. Even when I didn't believe it, they believed it. Jeff, God's going to really use you. God's really got his hand on you. God's got a bright future for you. You're going to preach to thousands of people, Jeff. They would say that to me all the time. When I was down, they would come along with these hugely defining, prophetic, purposeful statements, and they would speak it over me. You know what I noticed? I always wanted to be around them. I always wanted to be around them. Because we need to be around people who are defining us up and not defining us down. Who are defining us toward the purpose of God and not defining us away from it. Let me tell you something, church. That world out there will define you down. They will negate you. They will put you down. They'll bury you six feet under and throw the dirt on top. You can't listen to the world out there. You've got to be defined by God. So I'm very, very careful about who I let around me. A lot of speak, uh, people speak to me, but not very many at all speak into me. I don't let just anybody speak into my life. I only let people speak into my life who are going to define me up, who are going to speak over me the purposes of God, the will of God, the destiny of God. Jeff, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are the head and not the tail. You are going to win and not lose. You are going to fulfill your call. That's the kind of people I'm going to... I will not waste my time around VDPs, very draining people. 
In another place, Jesus said to his disciples, watch this, this is so powerful. He said, come after me and be my disciples and I will make you to become fishers of men. The word become, become, is taken from a Greek word that means to cause, to come into being. It means far more than teaching the disciples how to fish for men. They would be caused to become something they'd never been before. Fishers of men from the heart, not just good salesmen. To open the shades, let the sun shine in on the word become just a little bit more. The exact same word was used by Satan when he tempted Jesus by saying, command that these stones become bread. Turn these stones, Jesus, into something that they are entirely not. Into something entirely different. Into something impossible. Stones into edible bread. Why did Satan tempt him to do that? Are you ready? Because he knew he could. The same word was used when Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the miracle of being born again. If anyone is in Christ, he said, he becomes, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. He's literally saying that when God saves somebody, when you become born again, it's as great a miracle as a stone being turned to bread. He takes that hard, stony heart of yours and He turns it into a loving, compassionate, God-touched heart. He changes you from the inside out. I'm not talking about rehabilitation and I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. Rehabilitation puts a new coat on a man. But being born again puts a new man in the coat. If anyone is in Christ, he has experienced a miracle. He has become something he never was before. It's a heart transplant. I'm so thankful for the power of God to be born again. That's why Jesus said you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. You must become a child of God by the miracle of the Holy Ghost touching your heart and changing you from the inside out or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You say, that's a very exclusive message, Pastor Jeff. I'm telling you, it's the only message, and it's the true message. Jesus was an exclusive Savior, and He was a one-way Savior. There are not 30 different options. We must be saved and become something that we're not. What happens to you when you become born again is as radical as stones being turned to bread, as one thing being turned completely into another thing. He was saying this, disciples of mine, right now, you're primarily selfish, self-centered, thinking only of how to scrape out a living by catching your next fish. But when I'm done with you, you're going to burn to win people to me. You'll go to sleep at night thinking of how to win more souls and you'll get up in the morning excited about doing it. I'm going to change you. from. I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. So when you go witness to people, you're not doing it because you think you should. You're doing it because you got a case of the can't help it's. Come on, everybody. You know, when God touches you, you get some can't help it's. 
People say, well, I smoke because I can't help it. I drink because I can't help it. I cuss because I can't help it. Let me tell you some things that will do if you get saved. You'll praise God because you can't help it. You'll tell other people about the love of God because you can't help it. When you get around spirit-filled people, you lift your hands in the air and worship Him with all of your heart because you got a case of the can't help it. You'll thank God. You'll read the Bible. You'll pray. You want to be around Him because you can't help it because He's changed you from one thing into another. Give Him praise today. Come on, everybody. I'm so glad for the power of God changing me, changing you, And that's why we have the message we have. Now, apart from the words of Jesus, watch this. Apart from the words of Jesus who said, I will make you to become, Peter is unexplainable. Read about Peter and he's unexplainable. He is, as somebody said, an enigma wrapped in a mystery. Apart from the words, I will make you, Simon Peter, to become, because his life is a miracle of transformation. This obscure, unknown Jewish fisherman, summoned by Christ in his middle-aged years, has gone down in history as one of the most influential human beings of all time. A quick biographical sweep of his life would go something like this. Plucked from obscurity to follow Jesus from town to town for three years, Peter became one of Christ's inner three. He was present when our Lord met with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was the only disciple to ask Christ to bid him walk on the water. Forget the fact that he started to sink. The man walked on water. Peter was with John when the two peered wide-eyed into the empty tomb of Christ on the first Easter morning. Then years following Christ's resurrection from the dead, he penned the letters we now know as First and Second Peter. Have you read them lately? Have you looked at them lately? They are the proclamations of a theological and intellectual giant. If you try to connect the dots from fisherman to mighty fisher of men, from blue-collar worker to water walker, domesticated husband to pillar of the church, And finally, a loose-lipped braggart to a brilliant epistle writer. You'll lose the trail every time. He cannot be explained apart from the one who said, I will make you to become. I look at him, I read him, I read those letters, 1 and 2 Peter, and I think he was just a salty, crusty, blue-collar fisherman in his middle years. When he heard the words from Jesus, hey, you, follow me, and I'm going to make you to become. Ah, It's a mind blower. But as you follow Peter's life, you come to a dark spot in his journey with Christ. A moment of stumbling that could have wiped him out, taken him off the map, taken him out of the race. It's a blight on his resume, that's for sure. Jesus saw it coming and said something very revealing to Peter. I want you to hear these words today. Simon, Simon, we've already read them, I'm going to read them again. Simon, Simon, uh uh-huh, I have news for you. Satan has asked to have you. Huh? Say what? 
I'm the one that's got the keys of the kingdom. You just bragged on me a little while ago. I've walked on water. Satan has desired to have you. Here's what he wants to do with you, Peter. He wants to sift you like wheat. Now, you can't hear those words without hearkening back to Job, first chapter of Job, when we see that when the sons of God, that is the angels of God, were going before God, Satan came in among them, approached God and said, have you considered Job? And he began to accuse Job and attack Job. And he asked permission to attack Job. That's Old Testament. Here's New Testament. Simon, I'm God in flesh. I know what's going on in the spirit arena. And I'm telling you, Satan has gone to God and he has asked to have you. He's asked to sift you. Now, this is heavy stuff. You go, wait a minute, I don't understand this. What do you mean he's asked to sift me like wheat? And Jesus said, but here's the deal. I prayed for you. I have pleaded in prayer for you. The Living Bible says that you, that your faith should not completely fail. That your faith should not completely fail. Now, first, I want you to understand something today, church. Jesus fully knew of Satan's plan of attack against Peter, and he knows everything that Satan tries to do against you. Can I tell you the truth about the devil today? I know it's Thanksgiving. I know we like up messages. This is an up message because I want you to know that God is in charge of everything in your life. But Satan wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to rob you blind. He wants to leave you. He wants to leave you an empty void. He wants to steal your dreams, steal your hope, steal your faith. Steal the light in your eyes, the skip in your step, the smile on your face. He wants your joy. He wants everything God has given you. He wants to take it away. He has asked for you. He has desired to sift you like we. Sift means to shake in a sieve. It meant inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. Jesus was telling Simon Peter, you're going to have a trial so strong, Peter, that your faith is going to be sorely, sorely tried. It's going to be shaken to the core. Now, i got to ask myself, Jesus was in charge of all things. Why in the world did Jesus not say when Satan went and asked for Peter, no, no, you can't touch him. you got to ask this. You can't touch him. No, no, I'm not going to let you have him. He didn't do that. He just said, you know what, Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. I'm really lifting you up, Peter, because he is going to sift you, Peter. Now, we like messages that say, well, he can't get at you. If you just say the right thing, do the right thing. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. Sometimes we go through a sifting that we do not understand that shakes our faith and rattles us to the core of our being. There's a whole lot of shaking going on when your faith is tried like Peter's was. Why did God allow it to happen? Why didn't Jesus bind Satan from sifting Peter's faith? Why didn't he just bind the devil? There's only one answer. There was something in the sifting Peter needed. There was something in the sifting Peter needed. Beth Moore in her book, When Godly People Do Ungodly Things, wrote these words. Christ called Peter knowing every flaw in him. He gave that flawed apostle a new assignment and a new name to go with it, and by heaven the call would be accomplished even if Christ had to do it himself. I believe Jesus loved Peter's passion, but his cherished disciple also had some ingredients that could prove less palatable to the call. I'd like to suggest that everything standing between Simon the fisherman and Peter the rock needed to go. 
Satan had a sieve. Christ had a purpose. The two collided. Satan got used. Peter got sifted. For reasons only our wise, trustworthy God knows, the most effective and long-lasting way he could get the Simon out of Peter was a sifting by Satan. He was right, you see. The one who called us is faithful and he will do whatever it takes to sanctify us, to fulfill our callings. Yes, it's that important. Remember, there are huge things going on out there that we just don't understand. And when I don't understand God's hand, I trust God's heart. I'm going to say that again. It's one of Kathy's favorite sayings and I love it. If I don't understand God's hand, I've got to trust God's heart. How many times have you been in a situation in your life and many of you are in it right now? You don't understand what's going on around you. Neither did Peter. You don't understand what's going on around you. Your faith is being tested, shaken, sifted. You're in a sieve. You're being tested and you don't understand God's hand. But then you have to look up and say, you know what, Lord, I believe you're in charge of all things. You know the end from the beginning. You are the providential, sovereign God. I don't understand why you allow some people to do some things, why you allow these circumstances to converge together in such a way as to shake my faith to the core. But I believe when all else fails, my God is trustworthy. I can lean on him and I trust his heart. I will understand it by and by, even if I don't now. Come on, everybody. So Jesus knew what was coming. I want you to say with me, Jesus knows what's coming my way. And he's already praying for me. Jesus knew that he would fall, and he knew how. I'm going to tell you something, Peter. You're saying you'll die for me. Son, I see straight through you. Let me tell you something. The rooster's not going to crow today before you deny me three times. And he was pointing to his friends, his peers, and saying, though they do it, not me. Though they do it, not me. Can you say with me? He did have some things that needed to go. And he did just that. The Bible says a little servant girl approached him when he was at a fire, when Jesus was being tried in kangaroo court, just a stone's throw away from him. Peter sided up to a fire, little group of people around it, little servant girl looked at him and said, ah, you were with him. You're one of them. You're one of his disciples. Here's what he said in the Greek language. Ook. Ook. Not means not or never or not ever. Ook. Oida. To know anything at all or to know somebody at all. Auton. Him. He said, Ook. Oida. Auton. I have never at all, at all known him. Right then, Jesus walked by and cast a glance at him. And Peter went and wept bitterly, and he was in pain. I know the devil, and I can only imagine how he jumped on his shoulder. Hey, yeah, you're the big boy, the one with the call, the one with the keys. Uh-huh. Well, guess what? You just blew it. You just lost your calling. You just threw everything away because he heard you say it. Ook, oida, alton. I have never known him at all. 
Yeah, big guy. Yeah, you walked on water, thought you were hot stuff. Sure you did. But guess what? Now you're finished. You're over with. You're a has-been. You're a should-have-been, could-have-been, would-have-been, but not now. No wonder he said, I'm going fishing. Any guys want to come with me? I'm going back to the life that I knew. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. When you fail God, you say, I'm going back to the life that I knew. You're going to find that if you anchor in that harbor, you're going to be confused, empty, depressed, down, and you're not going to find anything, just like they didn't. They didn't catch any fish that night at all, no wonder, because there's nothing back there. All you can do is repent, get right with God, and go on down the road of discipleship, because there's nothing back there. I want you to notice here, Jesus was praying for him before it ever happened. The Bible says he was praying that pain would be turned to gain. The Bible says that Jesus said to Peter, I'm praying that when you return, you're a strengthener of your brethren. You're going to be a strengthener of your brethren. I praise God that when we give our mistakes, our lives, our messes, everything to him, he turns tests into testimonies, messes into messages. He turns our bouts with Satan into shouts to the glory of God. And he turns pain into gain. I want you to say with me, Jesus is praying for me. Say it like you mean it. Jesus is praying for me. Because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen to Hebrews 7.25. This is why he is also able to save absolutely those who approach God through him because he is always living to plead on their behalf. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's living to plead on your behalf. Father, they're covered in the blood. They're covered in the blood. They're covered in the blood. But now I pray for Tim. Tim is headed to a trial. I see it coming. He doesn't see it coming. He is seeing through a glass darkly. He has no idea what the enemy has set up against him. He has no idea what the satanic assignments are that have been sent against him. But I do. I see it clearly. I see what's coming down the road. So, Father, I pray that if he stumbles, if he trips, that he'll get back up. He won't lose his faith. You'll put a double anointing on him for his trouble. You'll put a message in his mouth out of the mess he's in, and you will give him a word for the weary. You'll help him to strengthen those who are losing their faith you will doubly anoint him doubly bless him doubly be with him and God raise him up with resurrection power that he walks again in the power of God in the life of God I pray all these things father and then the trouble comes and you don't know that when you hit trouble you've already got the prayers of the redeemer that have been lifted up to the face of God on your behalf he's already covered you in prayer Oh, come on, church. You can do better than that. Hallelujah to God. He's a good God. You know what I say. God never says, oops, and he never says, well, I'll be. When he turned and looked at Peter, he wasn't thinking, I cannot believe you just did that. No, he already saw him doing it. He foresaw Peter's return, and he would strengthen the brethren. And he sees your return. He sees you coming out of it. He sees you on the other side of your valley. He sees you on the other side of the fire. He sees you emerging with not anything on you being burned except the ropes that bound you. 
He sees you coming out with things that needed to go in the sifting. He sees you coming out on the other side stronger than before, wiser than before, better than before, with more understanding than before, with more anointing than before. He sees you coming out on the other side. He never wastes a pain but causes all things to serve the purpose of God in you becoming what he's called you to be. So I think of Peter. He comes out on the other side. Jesus restored him personally over a fish fry. He's with the 120 in the upper room. He has accepted the forgiveness of God. We know for a fact John heard him do it because John was hanging around in the same place Peter was when he denied the Lord. John heard him, uk, oida, atan. I've never known him. Sorry, John, the heat's on. But he's accepted his forgiveness now. Suddenly there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. But there's no wind. And suddenly flames of fire appear over the head of every single disciple, including Peter. And they began to speak in languages they had never been taught. And all the people gathered at the day of Pentecost heard them giving glory to God in their own language, these simple, blue-collar, unlearned fishermen. Suddenly, Peter had it, and he stood up, and the man preached a masterful message in three minutes. You can read it. It takes three minutes, but in three minutes, 3,000 came into the kingdom. Now, he's no braggart, uh-uh, burned off of him, taken out in the sifting. He's not walking around strutting his stuff. He's just following Jesus. The day came when, here's how strong it was. The one who had said, Uk, Oida, Atan. I never even knew him, never seen him. People were saying, He's coming this way. Put the sick in the street. Put him in the street. He's coming this way. Who's coming? Peter. He's just like Jesus. He's coming this way. So they put all the sick into the street the crippled, the lame, the dying, the terminal. And as Simon Peter, who had said, Uk, Oida, Altan. As he just walked by, his shadow cast on them, healed them. There was life on the other side. And you know what I love about it? He gets arrested, thrown in jail. He knows the next day he might be executed, but he's asleep. He had no Valium. He had no Excedrin PM. But he's asleep. An angel has to pull his sword out and strike him to make him wake up. Is this the one who was so afraid of people before that he said, Uk, Oida, Altan? Yeah, it's him. He's asleep. Reminded me of somebody else who fell asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm once. Because he's now just like Jesus. And he's delivered from prison by the mighty angelic intervention of God. This same Simon Peter allowed them to arrest him one day, tie him up, turn him upside down, and crucify him on a cross where he died that way, refusing to recant his testimony of Jesus. He's not afraid anymore. Something in that sifting 
burn some things out. Did it all work together for his good? Oh, yeah. Because all of us know about Peter. So for you, Peter's denial ought to be an encouragement. Because if you've failed, if you've fallen short, if you've stumbled, if you've messed up, God's going to work it together for your good. Can we stand together today? Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. I thank you, Lord, that you don't even waste a pain. That when Peter went through the emotional pain, Lord, of having failed you abysmally, you even used that pain and that stumbling to turn things around and work it for his good. Now, Lord, we pray. If you need this today, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. If you needed this today, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, help me today. Help me today. I believe that all things will work together for the good. Because I'm called according to your purpose. You did it with Hannah. You did it with David. You did it with Simon Peter. You did it with Joseph. You can do it with me. So, Lord, now pray this with me. Say, Lord, I cast onto you what looks impossible. And any mistakes I've made, Lord, I give my life completely to you. Take this mess and give me a message. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today, can you? Amen. Amen. Well, Tim has something for us today before we leave. Our youth pastor, Tim Crow, is bringing some of the teenagers up here, and we're going to bless them and give them something. So, Tim, come on up, and, and uh, let's go ahead and take care of this. Kathy, is there anything you want to say before he does this? Yes, why don't we do that real quickly? We are fortunate enough to be some of the first people in the country to get Tom Dooley's new book, America's Last Dream. And here, hold the microphone. It's beautifully illustrated. It's a wonderful book. It's a great book for children and teenagers to give them a historical perspective that's true, that they don't get in school much anymore. But it's also a wonderful book for adults and uh the great coffee table book and I just wanted to read one just one quote one thing he has in here Patrick Patrick Henry's quote gave me goosebumps when I read it oh, I don't have my glasses it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians not on religion but on the gospel of Jesus Christ and Patrick you know Henry. Patrick Henry you know, they try to tell us a lot of different things today, but this book is a beautiful book, and it's a true book, and it's a book that needs to be out there. It's a great gift-giving idea. And uh, Tom's book will be selling in the store for $15.99, but you can purchase it out here today uh, for $15, or if you want to do a discounted package deal, Jeff's book and Tom's book together is $23. And also this Saturday at 10 a.m., if you'd like to help volunteer and decorate the church for Christmas, 
Please join us here at 10 a.m. I do have to say, not us. I can't be here. Jeff and I are going to be celebrating my grandmother's 100th birthday. 100. Yeah. Amen. We may stop by afterwards, but we won't be able to be here to help decorate because we're going to be throwing that for her. But uh, anyway, we would be here. But if you can join the others that will be here Saturday at 10, we appreciate it. And Sunday we'll have the church beautifully decorated for, for Christmas. Yes, and uh, about Tom's book here, um, this is an excellent book. We're in the day of revisionism, historical revisionism. Secular historians are doing everything they can. Listen carefully to me. I know this is real. To totally strip Jesus from history books, from public knowledge. Uh, the part that Christianity played in the founding of this nation is like trying to remove oxygen from this room. If you try to remove it, but they're trying. So we need to be able to show our children the truth about the founding of this nation. This is so good. One of the top people at PBS, Public Broadcasting, Channel 13, came to Tom's office and wanted to see this and are seriously considering during their telethon using this as one of the things they give away for people who donate to PBS. It's that good. The illustrations are just incredible. His own artist, Tom's own artist, did this himself. This was, this is homemade in, in Tom's office. It's beautiful. So I asked him for a box of these books. It'd be a great uh, Christmas present. I encourage you to take advantage of that. And um, praise the Lord. All right, Tim, come on up. And let's take care of our teenagers here. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I just go ahead and come on up, guys and girls. Now, let's give them a hand today. Um, Okay, that's the most embarrassing part you'll have to go through all day, I promise. Um, but I'm, re I'm very proud of these um, guys and girls. They have really shown a great commitment. We started finding the rock class. We just finished our last uh, class last Sunday. And they have, they have just really been committed. They've really been, um, we, they've given us their attention and all of the study topics that we've had to cover. And they've done their homework. And that's great, um, you know, because I know that's the last thing they want to do was homework when you're coming to church. But they always did their homework. If they were out, they were really responsible by saying, hey, I'm not going to be here Sunday. And they were, always, they were just great. And they, these are the ones that finished um, the whole course. And I just incidentally want to go through and let you know some of the things that we did if you've never taken Finding the Rock. Um, salvation by grace, the Lordship of Christ, the authority of scriptures, Repentance from dead works, uh, faith towards God, water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and the importance of prayer. And our, our youth group is called CLASH. And what CLASH stands for is Christ's love absolutely shook hell. And I believe that these kids are better equipped to take Christ out into a world that needs to hear about the love of Jesus Christ so that we can shake not only our culture, our schools, and our environment, but that we can actually show Christ's love, and it does still shake hell. Hell is intimidated by and devastated by the love of Christ. And so today we've got um, certificates for them of completion, 
And I just thought it'd be great if we could just stretch forth our hands and pray over this youth group um, because they, they, need, they need to know that they have a church that supports them in their beliefs and in their faiths uh, towards God. And so let's just stretch forth our hands and I just want to lay hands on them. If Pastor Jeff, if you could come with me. And before we do, I just want them to introduce themselves. Silas. Kayla. Andy. Sheridan. Sophia. Sierra. Taylor. Dylan. Okay. And the two bookends are my sons, and so I'm very proud of them. But we just want to lay hands on them and pray for them. So if you'll just stretch forth your hands. Lord, thank you for your blessing on these young people. We pray for the power of God to rest on their life, that you'll keep them strong in the hour of temptation. We thank you, Lord, that you're praying for them as well as us. We thank you, God, for blessing them. Let them walk into their full destiny, their full future, all the purpose that God has called them to. Let them become something they've never been by the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to call them out. Masters. <laughs> Andy. Heather. Heather. She's not here. Okay. And then uh, Kenneth. He's not here. All right. Then uh, Dylan. Oh, that's Dylan. I got him mixed up. All right. Silas. That's Silas. There we go. All right. Kayla. There's Kayla. She's not here. Tanner. All right. And Taylor King. Sheridan King. Boy, these kings, I'm telling you. That's all this. That's Tony Alita. All right. That's all. Give them a big hand, everybody. All right, I'm proud of them for doing that. We'll be having another one of those in the future, Tim, right? Well, I, I can say this. I'll make a plug. Uh, starting January the 8th, uh, Maddie is going to be having a class called uh, Girls Talk with God. And this is my wife, Maddie. Just wave at everybody. Um, she's going to go ahead. She deserves it. Uh, she's going to be taking the girls through a, it's a six-week, seven-week uh, video course uh, called Girl Talk with God. And then while she's got the girls, I'm going to have the guys, and we're going to go through a course called uh, 10 Things Every Guy Should Know. And it's for teenagers, and it, it's just curriculum. It's, it, it uses uh, media. It uses uh, various uh, skits. And it's just going to be a great time. They're going to learn a lot, and uh, it's just to glorify God. And I thank God All for right, the opportunity. Girl Talk with God. And Girl Talk and, with God, and then and 10, 10 Things, things Guys, guys ought, to ought to Know. Starting January 8th. The 8th. All right. All right, let's count to three and shout. Oh, now she's saying, Papa, she's going to come up here with me. Come on. She's got a little Santa hat on. Oh, we're going to shout, Jazzy. I don't want to make you nervous. All right. Count Glory to God. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget Wednesday night. We're finishing the book of Genesis. Are you ready? One, two, three. Glory to God. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.